I'm trying to elevate small talk to medium talk. Hi, I'm Alexander Chester, and I've never had a fresh pair. I've never even seen a pair outside of a fruit stand. And I'm Av Sedensky, and if this was my ticket, it would say fucking douchebag. <laughs> Welcome back to Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good, a Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast. We are here today to discuss Season 2, Episode 9, The Baptism, which originally aired on November 18th, 2001, the penultimate episode of Season 2 of Curb. And uh, let me ask, in, in the way of Prestige TV, does Curb always save its its biggest shockers for the second to last episode of the season? Of? Yeah, I was amazed at, like, that. Four, I couldn't believe that four characters died in this episode. Yeah. That was crazy. Very, very surprising turn of events. I mean, Jeff might as well be dead because he's completely AWOL today. Yeah. And, um, uh, uh, so are quite a few other characters. Uh, Alan Sepinwall really... always used to write about how uh, David Simon would bring in George Pelicanos, the uh, novelist, to write the penultimate episode of Seasons of the Wire because those were always, like, the most brutal ones. Yeah. So who who is that? In? Now there was an episode of Curb, uh, excuse me, of Seinfeld early on, which was brutal and, and involved the uh, the shooting of the cable boy Jerry Seinfeld, of course. Yes, but uh, but Larry was not. Uh, Larry and Jerry weren't such fans of that episode, as I understand. That was a more of a Larry Charles special, was it not? Oh, interesting. I don't recall. Oh, okay, that might be wrong. Uh, before we jump into Curb, actually, can I complain about something for a second? Sure. So my Always. son, of course, yeah, my son of well, yes, in the in the spirit of Larry David, I'm going to complain about something in a complete non sequitur and, and possibly annoy the person who's listening to me. Um, my son like broke his headphones and he's using for his zooms. Um, uh, yeah. my my kids are too little to like do them in like their own spaces, so like everybody has to be in like the same like on the first floor in the more or less open areas. So he has his, like we dragged his desk down from his bedroom into the living room, but like. You know, it's it's close enough that you don't want to hear the yeah. We have we have a similar noise. situation going on. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, so he so he uses headphones sometimes, but not always. But he broke his headphones, of course, or blamed his brother on breaking his headphones. Um, so I, I let him borrow the headphones that I usually use, like for my microphone when I'm doing a podcast. And I said to him, I said, "These are my headphones. They're very expensive. That's a lie." But I wanted to scare him straight. Uh, they cost you know less than fifteen dollars. Um, but I said, you know, these are my headphones. They're very expensive. Don't you know? Don't break them. Don't lose them. Whatever. And then of course uh, I, I couldn't find them. And it was like so annoying to me because from the int- from the beginning of human history, by which I mean like 25 years ago, because before then the concept of a headphone was either didn't exist or was very, very marginal. <laughs> but at least like from the 80s or late 70s or whatever on until like a year ago, headphones were a universal thing. So, okay, I don't have those headphones. So I'll go get another pair of headphones. But now every single pair of my headphones in my house has a different jack. Well, this one goes to an Android phone, but then this one goes to an iPhone, but then this one is like the standard headphone jack. And it's so annoying that these stupid companies, by eliminating the headphone jack from their phones, now require like a multitude of different types of headphones. And then, of course, you have Bluetooth headphones. And so it's not just that I have to find a pair of headphones in my house, but I have to find a pair of headphones that match like this microphone, which is like an old school headphone jack, which is much more rare. So it's like very annoying. Yeah. My question about all this is where is Congress? Yeah. This is what your Congress should so be worrying you joked, about. You joke, but when I bought my most recent phone a couple of years ago, and it came uh, sans headphone jack and sans either headphones, because, you know, it used to be also the phones always came with a pair of headphones. Uh, and I say used to be. Uh, again, I only mean like the last five years, because the concept of headphones going on a telephone would have been insane 10 years ago, let alone 30 years ago. But, you know, it used to be when you bought a smartphone or an iPhone or an Android or whatever, it came with a pair of headphones. Now... 
no headphones, no jack. So I called the company at the time and I said, I'm just curious, like, can you guys, like, do you send headphones? Do you send, like, one of the little converter things? Like, my only option is to buy your $200 Bluetooth headphones on your website? And the answer is yes. Uh, and they said to me, well, if you live in France or there was a second country, but I forget what it was, then by law, we are required to send headphones with uh, each phone because of the fact that we've changed the jack and it's hard to find them for people. So you say, where's Congress? In other countries, uh, they actually are doing something about this. All right, issue. good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if uh, if they don't if they don't uh, if they don't fix that soon, I'm moving to wherever that yeah. is. Where and it's weird dealt because Congress and really the American government in general is basically perfect on every other issue. So I don't yeah. know why they can't. It's just, I, I don't know why they can't points. come together on this. You know, yeah. I, I assume there's a bipartisan consensus. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess the uh, the headphone lobby just you know has Congress yeah. bought and paid for. Um, my <laughs> philosophy like on headphones has always been quantity over quality. Oh, me too. I always find they just like you lose them so easily, they break so easily. So now, even now, when it's Bluetooth, like I refuse to buy like those two hundred fifty dollar Apple ones. I have a pair of like eleven dollar headphones that I always have like four or five like in my general possession, whether it's in my office, like you know, I leave them everywhere. Because you always, you always lose them. They disappear so easily. It's just like another thing to, to carry. It's another thing to lose. another thing that breaks in your pocket. It's, it's yeah. a nightmare. No, I agree. I think I've spent $50 on a pair of headphones once in my life. Um, although my wife did get expensive like Bose noise-canceling headphones. Um, like the a, big a couple, like the big giant ones? No, no. The ones that like just go right over your ears. Uh-huh. Because you can't um, walk around like an the, idiot the, with those giant headphones. Yeah. Um, I did go through a phase in, in high school where I had the giant headphones because, you know, I thought it was a more immersive sound experience, whatever stupidity I would thought when I was 15 years yeah, old. Yeah, I mean, I'm like 95% listening to podcasts. So, like, what's the difference? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and also, I, I listen to them, like, lying in bed. And so, yeah, they'd be very cumbersome. I need the, uh, I need the immersive experience of listening to yeah. you and Kiev <laughs> talk, talk about nonsense. Yeah, I actually had, but I didn't like them because it wasn't, like, close enough to the ear and I need things, like, in my ear very loud. Um, it, it wasn't, like, I had... I had the uh, like the headband headphones that you wear to go to sleep that are designed for that purpose. Mm-hmm. So do you know what I'm talking? So it's basically like a headphone with like little yeah. headphones. Yeah, yeah, it goes like around it. the back. Yeah, not not uh, the sound quality wasn't really good enough. Yeah, so anyway, but uh, that's not people did not come here to hear five minutes on headphones. Or so they, let's or, jump right into the episode. Or they did. Or maybe, um, maybe they yeah, did. yeah. I want to specifically no uh, <laughs> welcome all of our what I'm assuming is uh, thousands of new fans who are returning to our podcast, hoping to hear Shaq again. You probably all the big Shaq fans out there. Yeah, um, sorry true. to disappoint you, Shaq will not be on today's episode. But you know, we we, we, we may we, or may not have another NBA player as a guest towards the yeah, end. Yeah, so just like listen to the end, and if and not, just like keep listening to subsequent episodes, and maybe NBA players will point, turn yeah. up from time to time. Shaq did say he was amenable to returning. Yeah, you know, if Shaq comes back on curb, then he'll come back on on uh, on pretty 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 good. I could pretty yeah. much assure, assure you of that. So so this episode this this podcast lives in a world where no one who listens to this podcast has seen the show other than the episodes that we've seen thus far on the podcast. Oh, there could be, but there could be new episodes with Shaq. Oh, so they have to listen all the way to like prospective season eleven. I mean, if you're committed to the podcast, you got to yeah. support the team. <laughs> got to support the team. Yeah, I have a, I have pretty, pretty, pretty uh, good a Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast painted on my chest with my friends. So if we <laughs> do a live event, yeah, you got to be ready. I need a lot of friends. Um, all right, let's jump into the recap. Let's jump into the recap. All 
right, so we're at home with Larry and Cheryl, and Larry comes out wearing a maroon blazer over a brown sweater, and Cheryl does not approve. Um, I gotta say, Larry's jacket is, like, comically oversized. Now, part of this is, like, it was a different era, obviously, in 2001, because, like, watching this in 2020, I'm totally on Team Cheryl here. But also, if I look at any pictures of myself in a suit from whenever I first started wearing suits until like five years ago, I'm always embarrassed. So it's hard for me like, to get back into a 2001 world. Was this like ridiculously oversized at the time? I'm not sure. I think it was just that Cheryl doesn't like the color. Uh, I think it's just like the whole look. He does not look good. Um, yeah. And we, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to be on Team Cheryl a lot in this episode, or, or at least certainly by the end of it. Um, yeah. Uh, we will suggest to jump to the end. We'll see someone who is not Larry's size, but significantly larger wearing the jacket over <laughs> right. another right. jacket, and it still fits him pretty well. So I think yeah. that is indicative of the fact that it was it was way too big. Yeah. And also, we, uh, we learned that he he wore this same exact jacket, or at least the maybe the whole outfit, but at least the jacket the day before. And Cheryl's like had enough of this uh, yeah. Larry outfit, wants him to get rid of it. Uh, Larry is very resistant. He's he's worn this for years. Like obviously, he thinks it's a look that's working for him. It's a Shona jacket. But uh, Cheryl says it's time to move on, and she says we're going to donate that to uh, a homeless shelter. Yeah. So we see uh, Larry's walking to work, and he's now wearing a black blazer over a maroon sweater. And I have to say, he looks a lot better. So I think you know we've we've improved. So Cheryl's instincts were correct. Um, he gets to the door, and he buzzes himself in. You know, puts in the code, waits for the buzzer. And he sees, like, another guy kind of, like, standing awkwardly near him, and he kind of just, like, gives him a glance and walks on him, like, kind of quickly closing the door behind him. Now, I need to say, it doesn't really make sense. This is not a residential building. This is an office building. So, presumably, people who don't work there or don't live there are coming very frequently for meetings and whatnot. It's a weird building to have as, like, a buzzer building as opposed to, like, a doorman building, especially if you're Larry and rent isn't really an issue for you. Yeah. Like, so every um, time he has a guest, every time like Jason Alexander comes, he has to stand there on the street like a jackass, buzz the buzzer, and talk into it as Larry's secretary presumably answers and like buzzes him up. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is still like we're like relatively close to nine eleven, or a little bit post nine eleven. Uh, maybe this filmed before nine eleven. Oh so no, I, no, this episode clearly filmed before nine eleven. Okay, I because remember, of the whole wow, the airline thing. Yeah, the whole the whole the entire like the it, it's the whole. Airport situation is so dated and impossible to understand yes. now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, we know because I mean, it only aired two months after 9 11. They weren't right, right. Okay, there. yeah, okay. I and last week's episode with Shaq, we know they aired in April based on when right, the, right, right, the, the right, Lakers right. game. Yeah, so they probably yeah. aired this uh, film. Okay, this April, so right. I think that just like back then, like buildings, it wasn't as common that most buildings had a doorman. Like people just like weren't that worried about like security and stuff. You weren't going to hire a doorman. Like, yeah, you just buzzed up unless it was like a really fancy but for office, office building. I mean, this is like a this isn't like a fancy like high rise office. This is like you know it, it looks like it's in like a somewhat residential area. Well, but buildings like that wouldn't have anything. You could just walk right in. Pre nine eleven, anyway. All right, so this one has a buzzer. Yeah, I don't know. It seems more like an apartment building to me. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, he goes. Uh, so he hit, Larry heads up to his office. His secretary tells him that Richard Lewis is waiting for him in his office. He tells his secretary that he's going to Monterey. So there's a perfect example. So if Richard Lewis had arrived before Larry, which he did, and Larry's assistant wasn't in, Richard Lewis would have had to stand on the street like a schmuck for like 20 minutes waiting for Larry to show up. Yeah, that's why you have your assistant in. Yeah, that's why you need to have an assistant so people, someone can yeah, be there. Yeah, that's our main job, yeah. yeah Just hi- but instead of everyone in the building hiring an assistant who has right. to sit there and answer the phone, you could all chip in and hire one person at the door. That's yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Larry should be in a nicer place. He has $400 yeah. million. Dollars. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so he tells. If he, can, uh, if he can afford to buy the Lakers, he can afford to live in a, uh, to work in a building. With yeah, he should. Audience. He should have his office at the Staples Center. Yeah. He tells her that uh, he's going to Monterey for the weekend because Cheryl's sister is getting married. So he's not going to be reachable, um, which yeah. implies that in this episode he's not going to have a cell phone. Yeah, because like, otherwise know, he, he would say he does. Later yeah, on, yeah. Because yeah. otherwise he would say I'm not going to be at home. But if you need to reach me, I'll have my cell. And obviously you have that number because you're my assistant who's probably yeah. regularly trying to reach me on my cell. Well, so that's my question. We've literally never seen her contact Larry <laughs> ever or do any work on a weekend. To be frank, we haven't really ever seen her do any work at all except for look up what is made in a Cobb salad. Right. Which, granted, pre-Wikipedia is a little more difficult to do. So it is very strange that he feels the need to go out of the way to tell her. Yeah, so it's like it's funny because like there was always like this like running joke that like if you look back at like so many Seinfeld episodes, like the the plots could often be solved by the existence by of cell phones. Cell phone. yeah. Um so what Larry David proves is no cell phones could exist as long as you just pretend they don't exist and you can <laughs> yes, still do the exactly. same stuff. <laughs> yeah. You can still um plots. so uh Larry mentions that uh Cheryl's sister Becky is getting married to a Jewish man who's converting, he's getting baptized and the whole thing. Um so Larry heads into the office to see Richard, and Richard is angry. Jews make the best husbands, by the way. Yeah, that's what they say. I think it's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, we might leave some, you know, emotional baggage, but we'll treat you right for the most part. Um, so Richard is angry at Do they make the best Larry. wives, or is that a no comment? <laughs> Sorry, what? Do they make the best wives? Yeah, they make good wives. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> the representation, at least of Susie, not so great on this show. No, Susie, I wouldn't want to be married to Susie. Yeah. So um, Richard is angry at Larry for stealing the outgoing message on his answering machine, yeah. um, and he compares it to stealing a comedian's jokes. And yeah. you know he's he's very upset about this, and he wants to raise it with Larry. La- uh, Richard says he wrote that message in Paris. Uh, Larry claims he has had it for seven years. Richard Lewis says he wrote it seven and a half years ago. Yeah. Uh, now, so- the, the idea of a outgoing message being a thing that you would you know, use as a comedy bit. Yeah. Is also very dated from 20 years ago. Yeah. Yes, for and sure. And by the way, 20 years ago, it was like something that teenagers would do. It's I find it hard to believe that adults would have invested their emotional time and energy on this. Um, I knew like some families that had like, you know, messages that were intended to be funny. Some of them were yeah. actually and funny. You, and you hated those people. <laughs> um, well, the ones that were fun, there were some that were like actually well done. And, you know, can those you, were, can those you were give good. Give me an example. I don't remember people's answering machines from 25 years ago. Um, George Costanza had a very funny answering machine. Yes, that's true. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, our friend Shmaria was a big fan of the annoying one where you say, hello, hello, and pretend to be not being hearing the person on the other side. Yeah, that's very annoying. Very annoying. I actually do remember I had a physical answering machine. By the way, the, the concept of a physical answering machine, impossible for people under the age of like 25 to understand. Oh, yeah, it's nuts. It's not, it's not voicemail like a thing on your phone. It was a physical no, yeah, machine a, with a little a tape, tape <laughs> with, with a miniature cassette tape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, and also, I mean, when I had it, it didn't even have a digital like a number to show you if you had three messages. So you just have to count the beeps or count the flashing lights. Well, I think that was three flashes or three messages. But um, I had a message in, when I was in high school. I lived in a dorm. And so I had until and I got a cell phone later. But in, in 10th grade, 11th grade, we had an answering machine. And I do remember I would change my outgoing message all the time because, again, I was 15 and I had nothing else to do in my room except for, like, you know, change from the outgoing message on my answering machine. 
and masturbate probably. <laughs> but yeah, I was a 15-year-old boy and it was like pre like the internet really working. So there was like really nothing to do. Yeah. But it just seems very weird to me that this is what Richard and Larry are invested in. Yeah, it's not it's not a very high stakes uh, dispute. Um I I while yeah. while you were telling your anecdote, I uh, I remembered one that I thought was pretty funny. Um I think this was my one of my first cousins. He had a message uh kind of a twist on the Shmaria one you referenced where it would it would ring, you get the message and be like, "Sorry, you've reached so and so. Like please leave a number." And then you would hear the sound of the phone picking up. And going, hello, hello, who is it? Sorry, haha, this is still just a message. That's the exact equal amount of annoyance as the other one. Yeah, but it's funnier because it's it tricks you better. Like, because yeah. like the first one is just like at it first sucks, here, yeah, it, it sucks you in for a few more. seconds. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good got twist it. when you like you think it's actually the person picking up because like we all recognize <laughs> that sound as like, oh, I actually got him. Yeah. So um, yeah, so we will never hear the message between Richard and Larry fighting over, which is like, yeah, that was disappointing. Obviously. That was disappointing. Yeah, I I, I don't like when shows like don't show that they just tell on like that somebody did something good. Like well, I so, but here's my theory. So in early seasons of uh, Game of Thrones, for example, they would do it because it was too expensive, right? They couldn't yeah. afford to show like a massive battle, so they would just talk about the battle right. instead, and then. Which, in hindsight, might have been better because later on all they did is have battles and not talk anymore. <laughs> but um, here, it's a similar concept. Not that it's too expensive, but I do think the writers sat around trying to come up with an idea. And they couldn't come up with something that, that they agreed was consensus funny enough that it would be worth Larry and Richard fighting over. Right. So that's my theory as to why they don't include it. Because they yeah. couldn't think of one. Which is the proof that – well, actually, maybe it's the proof that if you have one that's so good, you want to hoard it. That was always know. my problem with uh, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Was that like the sketches weren't funny, <laughs> which I guess is realistic because the sketches on Saturday Night Live weren't funny, aren't funny either. But <laughs> it still was just like, no, like you have to like show me that these guys are actually putting on a funny show. Otherwise, this whole show doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So that that's a, a frequent a frequent challenge of shows that are about either comedy or music. music yeah. The yeah. artists have to make a song or the stand up has to be good enough to, yeah, to sort of justify the level of success that they're ostensibly having. Right. And like, why am I watching this if the guy is not good at his? Yeah. That's yeah, crap. so if, if we hear the message and we don't think it's, like, incredibly funny, then we're like, what the hell are Richard and Larry been fighting over? By contrast, Mad Men did an exceptional job of showing Don Draper being awesome at his job all of the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was very, very good at his job. And, but they also made his job look so easy. Yeah, no, but he was great at it. Like, he had great yeah. ideas for ads that you're like, wow, that's really good. And, like, you could see him yeah. selling it in meetings. Like, you, you, yeah. they convinced you that he's great at his job. Yeah. It was in, I mean, that show showed people, like, it also showed that, like, Roger Surly being great at his job, and his job was just to party with people and hang out yeah. with them, basically. or Pete Campbell, yeah. Like, everyone yeah, was shown thing. to yeah. be very effective at their job, whereas, yeah. like, here, it's just basically, like, oh, there's, we, Richard Lewis and Larry David, who are both comedians, have a joke that they both think is hilarious, and they're arguing about who it was, and they don't even yeah. tell us the joke. Yeah. Tell us so, the joke. Yeah, tell us the joke. Tell like, the, the yeah, like the joke that... Maybe we get Shaq uh, back on, since he is still in touch with Larry David, we ask Shaq to ask Larry David what the message is. Yeah, it's like when Chandler and Ross thought about that, like, uh you know dinosaur joke but at least they told us the joke but it was a bad joke yeah anyway um so larry says come on who should we trust an alcoholic or someone who has been lucid 24 four hours a day for their entire life uh richard is not sleep. richard is not convinced by this he doesn't care and he asks larry to please change it because people call him and they say larry has the same message and it bothers him and richard has no wife and his parents are dead <laughs> and larry has a good life and larry goes into this like bit like mocking oh my god i'm so sorry your parents are dead which is very mean um, no it's incredible <laughs> attempting to claim the lack of a wife and living parents right, is a therefore you're entitled to, get an to the outgoing joke. message yeah. is well deserving of the scorn that Larry heaps upon it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. I, I retract. Yeah, Richard's being ridiculous. Also, by um, the way, when you're in your 50s or whatever, having a, de- I mean, having a dead parent is never a good thing, but it's not like a tragedy, Richard. 
Right, yeah, right, right. Richard's not like 14. Yeah, no, I don't know when his parents died, but... Yeah, if they died when they were four, then you when they were fourteen, we apologize, Richard. We're going to assume they well, died but, but when you were. So, but in your now 50s. he should get over because it's, it's been like you know yeah. four decades. Well, it could have maybe like just you know ruined his yeah. life. Yeah, but, if, but I, if it's, it, I don't think the answering message is going to save it. So I'm on <laughs> Team Larry here. Okay, fair enough. Also, uh, the nature of their relationship. So my wife gets very upset whenever she sees my WhatsApp communications with my friends because she's like, "You're just attacking each other mercilessly and just like insulting each other." She's like, "That's so mean." I'm like, well, it's not mean because it's, you know, it's all in good faith and it goes in all directions and there's no uh, malintent. It's just for sort of comedic purposes. Yeah. And I mean, I, she, I'm sure some people think it's mean and they probably don't like it, but, you know, that's no, no, life. I know, but I'm saying, but, but uh, you know, I, I try to not do that to the kind of people right. who would, you know, be so insulted, right. obviously. Um, but, yeah, so my, my, wife gets, my wife gets very upset by that. And so I think it's similar. Like the way that Larry is talking to Richard would not be nice to go up to a stranger who is crying about their dead, you right. know, their divorce and their yes. dead parents. Right? Richard probably plays this card a lot. Yeah. <laughs> the, the woe he's is an me. Alcoholic, his health yeah. he complains about. Yeah. yeah. He'll, uh, he'll, Richard will use anything, no matter how significant, to get anything, no matter how insignificant. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. He's uh, he he uses all the all the decks on the car, all the cards in the deck. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Larry uh, Larry's refuses to concede the point, but he agrees that he's going to be the bigger man and he'll change his message. Um, so he sits there on the phone and he he changes it. And Richard says that the fact that Larry changed it is an admission of guilt. <laughs> Larry doesn't agree. Um, yeah. Here again, I'm completely on Team Larry. I don't know if you recall from law school, there is a, a concept in, I think it's in tort law, called like subs- subsequent remedial measures where it can't, we have like for public policy reasons, we don't want to be able to say – like let's say I slip and fall in your driveway – and like we we have a dispute about whether it's your fault. If you then go and like repair the driveway, that can't be used as evidence that there was something wrong with the driveway, because then otherwise no one will ever fix anything out of fear that it will be used against them. Yes. So Larry's trying to be the bigger man. We want people to you know be the bigger man and like resolve situations rather than you know not compromise, lest it be used against them. Yes. <laughs> so Richard is wrong. Yeah. Anyway, um, so we head back home and, you know, Larry's talking to Cheryl. She's, he's clearly in the middle of uh, relating to her everything that went on with Richard Lewis and the answering machine. And she says, in fact, she remembers when Larry came up with that message. Um, but Larry says, you know what? I, you know, of course I'm right, but I, I changed it so that I would show him that, like, I'm the bigger man. Cheryl's notes, oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize you could change the home message from your office. Larry says, yeah, of course you can. It's not a big deal. This yeah. might come back. Yeah, well, so here's – it's funny you say that because I watched this episode and I remembered like the basic scheme, but I did not remember this specific part. And so my notes from this point in the episode are, um, Cheryl is surprised you can change your home outgoing message remotely, but I knew this at the time. I'm kind of surprised – but I said even though I knew this at the time, I'm kind of surprised that Larry would have known because Larry is usually uh, you know, per- portrayed to be rather of a Luddite on the show. And so it's surprising that he would ha- sort of have a technological understanding here. Uh, spoiler alert, you know, he, he may not have a, as yeah. much of a... Yeah, from yeah. what I recall, like, it was as simple as, like, you dial your number and then, like, hit pound or something, and then... But this, no, but this was later. Like, they did not... Because I first, first got an answering machine in ninth grade in 1997, and, I mean, it might have existed then, but I did not have that option on my phone at that time. Yeah, I guess if but it's, like... by three f- years later, I did. So I think, like, the late 90s, early aughts was, like, the turning point of when this became common. Yeah, because, I mean, I guess if it's a voicemail that's, like, in the cloud somewhere, that's easy. But if it's, like, yeah. a physical tape on your machine, yeah, it, yeah, that doesn't really make sense that you could alter that remotely with the technology yeah. that existed back then. Like, it wouldn't have been hooked up to the internet yeah, or I mean, anything so, like that. So, yeah, by the time we were, like, ending high school was, was when the, um, the tapeless answering machines were, like, the thing all of a sudden. And then, of course, a few years later, even that's uh, obsolete. 
But yeah, so that that's a big transition point. And this is, you know, I think just into that era. Obviously, Seinfeld in the '90s was in the tape mess. I mean, there's a whole episode, obviously, where they try and you know swap tapes. Yeah, and so. several. Uh, yeah, answering machines were a big uh, theme in Seinfeld. At least comes up yeah. at least a couple times. Yeah, you you can't you can't not listen on speaker. Can't listen on speaker. No, you can only listen on speaker. Can only listen on speaker. Oh, yeah, right, so right, Jerry's right. always getting saying. in trouble because yeah, yeah, he's yeah. pressing. Like, it, it's a common theme in Seinfeld to play a message around well, other people. Right. Around the who person who the message is going to be about. What's on the message? Yeah. Oh, what's on the? Oh, just check my machine. You know, who cares? Yeah. yeah. Although, like, it's like, what are you supposed to do in that situation? Like, you can't really tell the person, like, oh, wait outside in the hallway until I listen to my messages. I guess yeah. you can wait till they leave, but not if it's going to, you know, somebody came over for a nightcap. Yeah. Well, I guess you just don't check your messages. Yeah, you wait till the next morning, but you know, you might have uh, or someone might be dead. It could be George Steinbrenner. The whole world there's like six emergencies right now. What is the chance that this is one of the emergencies? It could be Frank Costanza calling to say that uh, George is dead. Yeah. Uh, Or the aunt from uh, the aunt from Detroit, whose name I forget, but yeah. So uh, Larry asks what she should what he should pack. Cheryl says he needs a traveling outfit and something for the baptism. We later learn he also needs something for the wedding and for the day after. Larry interjects that well, he doesn't need baptism. Did did we mention it because the because Becky has to insist that her husband convert? Or we did say yeah, that. Yeah, right? I think we mentioned yeah. that earlier. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think but, he but tells. It, does it surprise you how passionate about her religion she is? Yeah, she based on what we what we've met from her, I wouldn't think yeah. she's like so devout that she would insist on conversion. Yeah. And by the way, by season ten, she'll be maybe not married, but she'll be down to uh, you know do any dirty business with uh, with any Jew who walks in the door. Yeah, so I mean, I I I am complete talking completely out of my own ass here. This is just basically on my own, like I guess, anecdotal and like just perspective. But like, it seems to me that like there are religious Christians who would care a lot about like only being married to a Christian, but then like secular Christians, from in my experience, would like not care at all that they would like insist on having their. Yeah, husband well, convert. but I mean that's the same Where, in any religion. I well, think. no, because I would argue yeah. that like Jew, like secular Jews, I think are more uptight about this than other religions. Like, mm, not, not obviously not I, across I the board. There are many that don't our, care. I think from our perspective, we are so religious that what we think of as secular Jews is not secular Jews. I think there are a lot of. Like, let's put it this way: a majority of American Jews do not do not marry Jews. Yes. So, so, so by definition, a majority of America, American Jews are okay with it because they do it. Yes, I'm not saying it's a majority, but I, I think there is more of like a cultural Jewishness where like people want to like kind of like rein that, like keep that, yeah. you know, marry in to some extent more than like they're like. I, and I guess I could be wrong, but like I don't think there's as much of like a cultural Christianity just because it's like I guess in some way because like that's so much more widespread. Like the main religion in in the country is a Christian holiday, but like most of people observe it secularly. Whereas, like, I feel like Judaism has more of this, like, cultural bent to it that, like, even people who no longer practice it still have, like, some idea of identity that they want to maintain in their family more so than yeah. other religions. But I think that's largely a, minor- a minority-majority thing because there's a yeah, lot of other probably. minorities, ethnic minorities and racial minorities. Where yeah. There's a similar concept of right. people, especially high achievers, you know, sort of frustration when they date or marry outside of the community um, because you feel like it's a smaller community and you want to stand out and you want to sort of stay, you know, cohesive or whatever. Right. Yeah. I guess it's right. You don't. You don't need to like hold on to things as much in like a majority country yeah. when you're the when you're in the majority. That makes sense. Yeah. Um. Yeah. We're, we're yeah we're getting into deep issues on this episode. Yeah. Headphones. <laughs> yeah. This no. This is a serious episode. We get into you know yeah. real issues. Um. So he wants to know what the. Uh, he doesn't really know what a baptism is, is, other than it involves water in some capacity. He wants to know what the yeah. average Gentile wears to a baptism. Uh, they agree that khakis and blue bla- and a blue blazer would be appropriate. Yeah. Um, this is the default Gentile outfit. Of course, later on, Larry and Cheryl will try and get into a uh, Gentile country club. 
And yeah. Larry will adopt a similar. I think you know probably gold buttons on his jacket. I would guess. But yeah, yeah similar. I have a very good joke about a Jewish about a Jews trying to join a country club. But we'll wait for we'll wait till we get there. Okay. Oh boy, that's a, a real teaser. Yeah, it's a good joke. I mean, it's like it's not my joke. It's like you know, it's a classic old like Borscht Belt joke. But it's a very it's one of my favorite jokes. So all the Shaq fans, you got to listen to at least till that episode. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Larry wonders the same thing as you are. Why is he converting anyway? You guys come to our side. We don't go to your side. That's not the way it's supposed to work, which is exactly what I was saying. Yeah, this, it, this, I think it's much more common for Jew, for someone to convert to Judaism because the Jewish person cares than vice versa. Yeah, yeah, and, cer- and certainly of, of Larry's generation and above. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was probably also just like there was probably still like just like Holocaust baggage where people like felt like they had to like, you know, not, you know, my, you know, my grandparents didn't do this. Now, my, you I'm mentioned Holocaust baggage. Uh, do you, did you watch Nathan for you? Uh, yeah, most of it. I think I didn't see the last oh. season. Oh, but did you see? There was actually an episode where they're producing Holocaust baggage. Oh, and the way they go to that, that in the in the there's like a clothing store, right? Yeah, yeah. Holocaust garments. Yeah, yeah. That was, that Holocaust was good stuff. bags. Yeah, good, very good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned Holocaust baggage. Something like what? what you, like like a, like a bag with the Holocaust logo on it. Yeah. Um, so Cheryl says, well, if he didn't convert, Becky wouldn't marry him because she's very passionate about religion, which is yeah. not at remotely consistent with the Becky that we've seen portrayed throughout yeah. the series. In I this very episode, she has a very dirty mouth for a such a religious person. Yeah. And certainly Cheryl and even Cheryl's parents, like don't until now, have not come across as like very devout. Christians. Well, but Cheryl's parents are into the Passion of the Christ, and Cheryl's dad has the nail around his neck. Like, I think Cheryl's parents are more Okay, so maybe, yeah, maybe. Although, although I think we haven't seen that yet, right? That's to come. So. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't think until yeah. now they're just, you know, they're certainly, like, older and more conservative, but, like, yeah. I don't think they come across as, like, deeply religious people whose daughter would be very passionate about religion, despite the fact that she seems to sleep around a lot. <laughs> yeah. Including with her... And, bo- and sisters, ex husband at one way, point. Married Jews, although Cheryl doesn't seem to care one way or the other. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like yeah. Cheryl married a Jew. It doesn't seem like that was uh, any sort of yeah. controversy in their well, family. Yeah, I don't think either. I, nobody converted in that one, though, I think. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, Larry wonders why Christians take everything so personally with Christ. Not only do you have to worship him, you need everyone else to. He compares <laughs> it to his love for lobster. But I don't go around pushing lobster on people. Do I travel to Africa and all over the world saying, have some more lobster? It's good. Cheryl doesn't think that these two things are similar. Yeah. Shellfish and, and, uh, and religion. And I'm sure that you had the same thought that I did watching this as like a kosher observing Jew, which is the irony of Larry comparing yes. Christian belief to his love of lobster, which is, of course, Traif. But I'm sure that that never occurred to Larry or any of his, uh, you know, secular yeah. Jewish writers. <laughs> um, so Cheryl asks Larry uh, what time the car is coming in the morning. Larry says, oh, you know what? I'm going to drive. The car service, they're not reliable. Um, Cheryl says, yeah, but like, what are we going to do about parking? Larry says, oh, it's very easy to park at the airport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice one, Larry. Yeah. So we uh, we wake up. It's the next morning, and they're getting ready to go, but Larry can't find the tickets. Um, he has an epiphany, and he realizes he must have left them in his office, but it's okay because we said, you know, as we've said, we're going to leave extra early, so we have time. We'll stop off at my office. We'll get the tickets, no problem. So they head over to the office. He runs up to his desk. He's, like, looking around in different drawers. He can't find them. Um, he comes back. He tells Cheryl that he's pretty sure that this is what happened. That that creepy guy who was standing outside the office the other day when Larry was trying to get in (laughs) must have seen Larry put in the code. He later broke into the building, came up to Larry's office. No no doors or locks there. To his office suite. Yeah. Went into Larry's office, you know, individual room. 
you know, went into the drawers and found tickets for a flight to Monterey the next yeah. day and stole them. And he's heading to the airport right now with our tickets and he's going to go to Monterey in our yeah. seats. And, and stole that and nothing else. The value of those tickets, maybe a hundred bucks. Uh, th- I think you're stealing where you have to go to a lo- the person you stole it from knows the location where you're going to be. So you can easily get caught. Um, and then, of course, yeah, the idea of for- forgetting about like how incredibly technologically dated the very concept of physical airplane tickets is which any 25 year old viewer has no idea what the fuck is going on but the idea that you can just go on an airplane because you have tickets regardless of the name on the ticket like it's so it's so incredible how different the world was before 9-11 and after 9-11 and that this episode was recorded in may or april of 2001 and comes out in november 2001 and it's not the show's fault but it's it's impossibly dated as soon as it came out and it actually, it's similar, I think, to now. Like, we're, we're watching things on TV now that were made before Corona, and we yeah. watch them on TV, and it's, like, impossible to fathom the world that they're presenting because it's so foreign to us, even though two months ago, it was the world as we always knew it. Yeah. It's like, what do you mean you're having your friends over for a book club? Are you insane? Yeah. yeah. It, it's really, it's, it's so incredible. And actually, I think this is a good way to so, sort of illustrate how unique each of those two items are, like how different, I think, in the long term. They each will affect so many various facets. Hopefully, this one will be forever the way that 9-11 was. You know, 9-11 has never really dissipated in terms of a lot of the sort of the the, the theater of security that we have and the real security that we yeah, have. So I, I think this I think this by for sure. will. I mean, it might not be things that we realize yet, but like there will be trends or technologies or different things that I think will become regular fixtures of our lives that were not before then and things that will disappear from our lives that were. Yeah. I agree parts and they will just last because like people will realize there are things that we never really needed and there are things that we realize we do need um and just like you know people will invent new things to address the needs of today that will persist so yeah uh, you know i'd I be surprised sure. if there are no yeah. permanent changes because of this oh no i think there will be for sure and it might even be that we can't even predict which ones will last and which ones won't last right like oh yeah yeah, yeah. i think right now we're guessing we say oh technology and more zoom meetings and that kind of stuff is something that'll last but but who knows maybe it'll be yeah. something totally you know I agree. Yeah, there'll be there'll be things that people that are much smarter than us are going to figure out based on you know people's behavior during this time that will become you know lasting fixtures in our society. I would be shocked if there aren't. Yeah, but by summer twenty twenty one, let's say a year from now, when you meet somebody, either a stranger or somebody you don't know well, you won't avoid shaking their hand or high five or hugging them. Do you think? Will you? Um, I might because I'm not a big of any of those things. So You're just I might use for an it. excuse anyway. I, but yeah, I might use yeah. this as an opportunity to opt out of, that, of all that stuff. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think society at large, society yeah. at large, I think will go back to you know yeah. handshaking when, and hugging and that sort of stuff. I, I don't think people are going to stop doing that once this is over. Yeah, the wearing of masks has already been for several years in East Asia a common thing. Now, not you know a majority of the population, but certainly it's very normal to see. I don't know what the right. percentage was, but many people wearing masks at all times that they're out in public. Um, and here, other than maybe tourists or people from that community, it was very rare to see. But you know that I think will probably last in some form for a long yeah. time. Yeah, although given that half the country refuses to wear masks during the height of the pandemic, they probably won't wear them indefinitely for no reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. When it becomes um, a political thing. And everything's political now, so. Everything is political now. Yeah. Uh, including this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we really so, went hard on the uh, um, headphone lobby at the top. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, obviously now we're going to, you know, our sponsorship is going to get cut off. So, you yeah. know, we may have to go to the patrons to yeah. pay for, for future episodes. <laughs> now that Sony is no longer a sponsor. Yeah. 
Um, so Cheryl's main concern is that the tickets actually have all of their personal information on them, like their phone number, their address, you know, yeah. and Larry's not worried. He says, please, they're not going to rob us. These guys are already on his way to Monterey. He's not coming yeah. to our house. <laughs> yeah, he's he, like, he got two tickets valued at like $100. What yeah, else like Larry is like so pigeonholed on his theory, theory of the case here. He's like the detective who thinks he solves the mystery in like the first yeah. day and then like yeah. just can't, you know, just has blinders on. He can't see <laughs> any of the other obvious suspects. He's just like, nope, he's, this guy stole the tickets. He's already in Monterey. There's, not, there's nothing else to even think about here. Yeah. Apparently, even though they're round trip tickets, he decided to just take the one way. He's not coming back. <laughs> I mean, there's always to come back. Monterey is beautiful. Yeah, it really is. Maybe we should get a place up here. Settle down. Are we settled? Are we settled? We'll find out later yeah. what settled is. So Cheryl, uh, Cheryl says, "All right, I'm gonna, you know, let's head over to the airport. I'll get on the on the uh, the cell phone. We now realize they do have a cell phone, and yeah. I'll explain what's going on." Uh, she's immediately put on hold. They're still driving. They can't. Th- she can't get through to anyone who can help. At one point, she gets reconnected back to the same person, which is obviously like a classic uh, customer service problem that I'm sure. We've all experienced hundreds of times. I always like try to tell myself like I need to do a better job at like not getting angry at the poor customer service person who like obviously this isn't yeah. her fault like the situation and I'm just like taking it out on them. But like yeah. I most of the time can't help myself. Like it's obviously not the person's fault in India who like works for you know dispatch or whatever that the, that the, my call ended up routed to. Like yeah. they didn't they didn't fuck up. They obviously can't help me because what do they know? Um, but yeah, they're the ones who get yelled at unfortunately. Yeah, well, this is an example of where uh, my having a non-denominational name, I think, is beneficial to me because, like, you have a, a more ethnic name than I do, right? And so, I like, you know, when I'm in public, I make an effort to to you know control, even if I'm very frustrated because I'm like, you know, I, I wear a yarmulke most most times, so I'm identifiable as Jewish. But on the phone, when they have no idea who I am, I'm like, well, you know, this, I'm not going to create an anti-Semite here. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. When no, I get extremely I w- mad, what I'll say to them on the phone is, I'll say. I'm very frustrated, not with you personally, because I know it's not your fault, but with your company. And I'm yeah. sure that doesn't do anything for them. But in my head, I'm absolved then of expressing my frustration. Yeah. I mean, so I, I, in my opinion, I generally find that this could just be like I want to just like, confirm my own biases about how I want the way things to work. I find that I get, I get more progress when I'm like nice to the person and treat them that oh, way course. than when I yell yeah. at them. But like it probably doesn't really matter in the long no, run. No, no. You catch more flies with honey than vinegar for sure. Yeah. With a certain, it depends on the person. It depends how good you are at yelling at people. I'm not that good at yelling at people because yeah. I don't do it a lot I, or at least yeah. I try not to. Um, yeah, and I try not to be confrontational. So I would never, I would never yeah. do that in person. Like I would be too scared. Yeah, and I need to say, by the way, Cheryl, although you know, not her fault, and we've all been in that frustrating circle on, you know, on the phone. But she, both here and then later when they get to the airport, they try and skip the line. Cheryl is incredibly bad at explaining situations in sort of a succinct way to emphasize yeah. and focus she, like, on the most. She like starts parts. from the beginning of the story. Yeah, and like she just like, like she has to get to the punchline. Yeah, like at the airport later. You know, in, when you're in that situation, if you need – you say, my flight leaves in 20 minutes, not, well, let me explain a whole story of our tickets or stuff. Like, just say, like, that's my flight. So the people in front of me who have a flight in an hour and a half as well, like, you know, they, they can prioritize. But anyway. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, like, even, like, worse than her. Like, I would just, like, get on the back of the line. It wouldn't even occur to me that to cut the line. Um, yeah, my wife is much better at just, like, taking charge and, like, she'll, she, she would go to the front of the line and, like, would get the attendance and, like, skip to cut the line. Yeah. She gets things done. I would stand online and miss my flight. Yeah. It sounds like John Mulaney and his wife, his yeah. Jewish wife. <laughs> right. Um, so um, they uh, – meanwhile, by the time she even like gets through to someone, they're already at the airport anyway. They pull into now, the lot. Now, let me ask you a question. Hold on. Yeah. So when they're driving, Larry ter- asks Cheryl, should I turn on Lincoln? And he says, I need Lincoln approval. 
can't make a right turn on Lincoln. With now, is this just one of those things like the Californian skits on SNL, where people from California are obsessed with their own roads and their own ways of going, and everybody? Knows, I assume. Oh, Lincoln. Yeah, I assume Lincoln is probably some you know road near like near the airport or something, or just yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, and maybe New York. I mean, New Yorkers talk about the Van Wick. Maybe it's the same thing. I don't know. Yeah, but, it it always annoys me that they say the word the before the numbers of their highways. In Cal- the people the from California, yeah, I'm like, just say 405. Why are you saying the yeah. 405? It's not it's stupid. Um, say it right. Yeah, say it the way I think. say things the way I say them. Yes, I'm trying to think. We, we yeah, we don't do that in the Midwest. We don't do that on the East Coast. Um, it's like it's like that, uh, it's like other religions. Yeah. The, the 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 made up things in my religion are good. The made up things in your religion are stupid and obviously ridiculous and couldn't have happened. Yeah. So comparing religion to shellfish, I don't know, but comparing the way that we dis- dis- describe uh, roads and thoroughfares to religion, uh, that's that's uh, right on target. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so there's no spot in the lot, and Cheryl sarcastically acts like she's. But hold on! Sur- but before surprised. that, this this is so annoying. This is another mistake of Cheryl. She gives up way too easy. She gives up too easy. She she hangs up. She's like, oh well, now we're at the airport, so I'm just gonna hang up with you. There's no need, anyways. She says this as they're pulling into the parking lot. So the best 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 case scenario. That they find a, a, a spot almost immediately, and they get on the shuttle almost immediately, and they get to the terminal almost immediately, and there's almost no line at the terminal, and they go right. Right, that's line. like still like half an hour. Yeah, best case, best case, you know, they're 15 minutes away from speaking to a person at a counter, and she hangs up because they're at the airport. So that's insanity. But sorry, yeah. I stepped on on, on you uh, describing Cheryl's good line, Larry. No, that's okay. Um, because no, I mean, I, I in the end, you're definitely right, but I understand the instinct when, like, you've been on hold for that long and you're frustrated. That you're just like, you know what? We're here. I'm just gonna go find a person because, like, obviously, this phone thing is not helpful. Yeah, I don't. Um, to me, it's always the opposite. To me, it's always the feeling of I know I should hang up, but I'm pot committed at this point. I've been right. on hold for so long that I'm just gonna stay on hold till the very end. And sometimes, like, when I've done this, where like there's a super long hold and you're on on two phones like you call on your phone and your and your and your wife's phone or right. you're doing the online chatting and the phone or something sometimes when I'm in that circumstance even when I get through on one line I still don't hang up the other line I'm like well I'm going to stay on hold here just in case just this in one case. doesn't work out right you get disconnected <laughs> or right the person isn't yeah. helpful yeah. yeah that makes sense um yeah they yeah I I I try to do the uh, the online ones because I just can't I don't want to deal with a person like if I could talk yeah, to a robot nobody wants to talk to people anymore yeah it's horrible yeah wants to talk to a person oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> miserable um. Anyway, um. So Cheryl, uh, you know, Cheryl acts very sarcastically surprised that there are no spots available in the lot. Um. As we know, she predicted that would be the case. Yeah. Um. So they see someone who looks like he's pulling out, but like he's kind of like acting very lackadaisical. He's you know he kind of just like sitting in his car. Um. It's hard to tell. Now we don't even know is he really pulling out or is he just sitting. Um, Larry gets very annoyed. He says, "You know, he starts yelling out the window. Don't worry, take your time. Have some coffee. Have a bagel. Take a nap." Yeah. Um, Again, totally the wrong tactic here. Why piss yes. off the guy who um, can just spite you and hang out there? Yes. In fact, many times in my life when I've been, you know, pulling out of a spot, if the person will be, you know, be too aggressive about trying to get me out, I will make specifically stay longer just out of spite. Yeah, but you can be aggressive in a nice way. You can say, "Hey, you know, do you mind? We're in a big rush. We're late for our flight," or something like that. Rather than immediately going to the sarcastic remarks to the guy. Yeah, no, he doesn't play it well. The guy, yeah, the guy owes you nothing. He could sit there as long as he wants. If he has nowhere to be, he'll sit there for an hour just to fuck you. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, they see another car starting to pull out. And Larry's, you know, kind of just like holding his position, waiting for the guy to get out so yeah. he can take it. But before he he, nothing from George Costanza. Before he has a chance, another guy zooms right by him and flies into the spot. And yeah, there's really nothing you could do once the guy takes your spot. He's gonna leave his car there and go. And yeah, I mean, you what, can key his car, but yeah, that's about yeah, it. yeah, right. Just, right. Again, you could just screw him over, but like you know, that doesn't help you. Yeah. Uh, now I will say 
I, I don't believe the physics of this really makes sense because for there to have been enough space between the guy in the first spot and Larry for this guy to zoom in e- easily like that without risk of, of dan- you know, I just it doesn't really make sense to me. Larry's car would have been sort of at an angle to sort of indicate that he's waiting. I don't know. I, I thought that it, it was it would make more sense, if anything, I think, for the guy to zoom around from the other side, go on Larry's right, do right. a big curve around and, and sneak in the spot that way. Yeah, that would have been better, but that would be probably a lot harder to film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you need it. Yeah, but either way, it's uh, it's the concept rather than the necessary execution, which we see and is so frustrating. When you're waiting for a spot, you think it's your spot, and someone zooms in from the other side. Yeah. So we uh, we cut ahead, and they're in the airport, and Larry's still complaining about the lot, and like it's ridiculous. If the lot is full, they shouldn't even let you in. Uh, so I guess you know it must have taken them some even more time than they expected to find the spot. Um, they arrive at the gate. Um, Cheryl tries to run to the front of the line, but everyone yells at them. The att- even the attendants like, no, there's a line. You have to go to the back of the line. I don't care what your situation is. All these people are waiting. Um, I'm assuming this probably is like a very – this is probably not LAX, right? This is probably a small airport because yeah. ordinarily you wouldn't have like one attendant that's like covering many flights. Well, so that's the part that doesn't make sense because this attendant is at the gate as we'll see. And again, pre-9-11, you just go straight to your gate. But it doesn't make any sense why this attendant, if they're at the gate, is also handling everybody from every other flight, which they clearly are, unless, as you said, it's such a small terminal that this is literally the only gate that this airport even – that this airline even has. Yeah. So that right. doesn't really make sense when you think about it too much. But my issue here, again, is with Cheryl's behavior. So they get to the back of the line, and they're like, no, no, this line is too long. You know, Let's just go to the front. We're never going to make it. Like, this is – everyone who's in a couple knows that in this circumstance – you always split up. Like when my, when, when my wife and I are in a situation where there's like many long lines, like at customs, we stand in two separate lines so that maybe if that one's quicker or then this one's quicker. Also, it's a way to divide our kids so that they can't all be killing each other. But right. like I feel like Larry and Cheryl, one of them should keep this spot in line so that in case the going to the front doesn't work, they haven't gone even more f- further behind in line. Um, although that doesn't end up happening because nobody comes behind them. And then one person should go to the front. But anyways, that, that was my also my issue here. Yes. Or are you not a splitter in this circumstance? Um, no, we've we've done that. Um, I don't. Th- we don't do it as much with kids. Oh, maybe like we'll do it like one person will take the kids and the other person will go yeah. wait. It's harder to yeah. split up. Yeah, the, then you're on the side, and then when she and then when she comes yeah, to the front, then, then, then you, you round ahead. everybody up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if they had another option here, but yeah, they're kind of just up shit's creek. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, should be, oh, but well, they do split up actually. Um, Cheryl waits online. And Larry, Larry decides to play yeah. play detective. Yeah. He starts walking around the little terminal area, see if he you know recognizes anyone. He's looking for the guy who he thinks stole the tickets from his office. Um, he spots one guy who he thinks, oh, this might be the guy. I think it's him. <laughs> and he goes over and he confronts him. Obviously, the guy has no idea what he's talking about. Um, and he actually like is like initially like way too polite and like agreeable First with Larry. Yeah. So he should just like ignore him and like walk away. Yeah, like but it's also person. it's completely insane the confidence with which Larry confronts oh, it's crazy. multiple strangers. Well, yes, it's certainly it's, it's insane to do it a second time after yeah, exactly. you just had the egg all over your so face. Badly, and the yes. second one, he's just as confident. <laughs> just as confident. He's like, no, this time I got it. Yeah, I, I know what you did. Just give me the ticket. <laughs> Uh, so the guy tells him he's uh, actually, if you must know, I'm flying on a bereavement fee fare because my Santa mother died. Larry still doesn't believe him. He insists <laughs> on seeing the ticket. The guy says, fine, I'll show you my ticket. What's the name right here? Is it your name? No, it's mine. Chris Darga. See, if this were yours, it would say fucking douchebag. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes in the show's history. Yeah. Very good. Do you recognize this guy? Um, Chris Darga? Yeah. That's his real no, name. No, who is he? He was the in the lip reader on Seinfeld. He was the limo driver where Elaine pretends that he's oh, that she's deaf. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, the, yeah. You're too good for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, good call. Um, Lowry's obviously very embarrassed. He says, sorry to hear about your mother. <laughs> uh, we hear not, the... Uh, not, from that... Per- if you've made the bed that Larry's made, there's yes, he really should, not a lot of... He should yeah. just go back and sit and wait for his turn at this point. Like, no, I, I leave the terminal. I'm like, that's it. I can't yeah. be in this person's presence. <laughs> yes. I mean, I wouldn't be in that circumstance, but... Uh, we hear over... The ball's over- on Larry because also, by the way, Chris Darger is going to see Larry. He's in the same little area. He sees Larry approaching other people <laughs> doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, he should really be like... He should cut the line and go tell the attendant there's a crazy person in the yeah. terminal who's going around and accusing people of stealing his ticket. He's obviously and- nuts. And they look complete. It's basically white men between the ages of like thirty and sixty. That's yeah. all Larry has narrowed it down to. Yeah, and I know, I know, we've said it like five times already, but it's like so crazy that like Larry's like standing where the plane leaves from without having had to show anyone a ticket. Like it's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, but you could do this right before nine eleven. No, I know. It's just like I'm not so, for international flights. I'm so but, not know, accustomed from LA to Monterey. Yeah, I just I have no memory of traveling this way. You probably yeah, do oh. more because you traveled a lot at the, like the time in your life. Yeah. Right? So I yeah I I lived in I'm from Minnesota, but I went to high school in Canada and then later in New York. So I was going back and forth between Minnesota and Toronto slash New York at least you know a few times a year. Yeah. So you know I was flying to like Florida maybe like for winter break or something once a year. So yeah. I don't have as many uh, experience in this time period. Um, anyway, we hear the uh, PA announcer announce that the the flight is boarding to Monterey. Larry's still walking around looking for the thief. He approaches another guy and says, I know what you did. Of course, again, the guy acts completely confused, not knowing what he's talking about. Larry says, I know you have my ticket. Let's give it back. And the guy tells Larry to go fuck himself. And this man is quite large. Yeah. Um, so by the time Cheryl and Larry get to the front of the line, the, the attendant tells them that the gate is closed and the attendant says, actually, anyway, there are no seats left on the plane, which shouldn't be the case. There should be two seats left on the plane. Wait, why? Larry and Cheryl's seats. Who's sitting Oh, uh, but, but not in, La- but in Larry and Cheryl's perspective, there shouldn't be because, right. but, yes, the, but you're the, saying the, in actuality, the attendant should say, tickets. oh, actually there are two seats on that flight. Yeah. Um, well, so but, but it could have been, although I guess we would have heard this over the radio, but it could have been that those two seats then went to standby passengers. Yeah, that could be right. They could have given yeah. them away because they didn't show up. Yeah, possibly. Um, but no, but then they usually say over the radio, like, you know, Mr. and Mrs. L. David, please come. To the yeah, plane. right. They probably would have heard that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. whatever. Um, but they uh, they insist they have tickets. He says, <laughs> well, can I see them? Which, again, like he wasn't paying attention to their story, obviously. If he's but they don't explain tickets. it well at all. Yeah, that's true. They don't do a good job. Yeah. Um, but, of course, right. So, of course, they don't have the tickets. Um, she says, sorry. They get, you know, that, that flight is already gone. Um, have you ever missed a flight? I'm sure you have, right? Because you travel so much. Um, have I missed? I mean, I've missed a connection, but not like I've never not made it to the airport in time. I've missed the connection because my first flight was delayed. Got it. Um, but no, I've I've actually – but it's interesting you say that because I'm – and I think this is actually an Adam Carolla concept originally. I hate the con- – I like my, my, my wife's parents, if their flight is at 10 p.m. today, they'll show up at the airport uh, three years ago. Right. Yeah. My, my grandparents were always like that, like doctor's I, I, appointments. Like, my they were like going is, to the city in the morning because they had a doctor's yeah, appointment at 4 p.m. Yeah. My, but for airports, I'm talking, my attitude is like – I don't want to. I don't want to be waiting for more than an hour, unless it was a circumstance where I had like access to a lounge. I knew it was very fancy, or or there's also been circumstances where I'm traveling right before a big sporting game that is important to me. So I'll show up early to watch the whole game at like in the terminal versus right. having to travel in the midst. So I've done that right. before. But yeah. ordinarily, I want to show up less than an hour before. And my logic is that if every like if every single time you show up three hours early and I show up an hour early, I save two hours every time. So even if I missed my flight 10% of the time, I've saved 20 hours 
over the last 10 trips. And so this time I'm going to lose, you know, three hours or whatever because I'm on the next flight. Right. But, but um, I've never missed a flight anyway. Unless what you're doing at home is like watching Netflix, in which case you could just watch that at the terminal and not be so, stressed. The, well, so now I would say now the difference is much less between at home and the terminal because either way you're just staring at a screen probably. Right. Yeah. But yeah, but it used to be like when you're in the airport, you were just staring at, a, at, a, at the 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 news, the airport version of CNN. So. Yeah, I had never missed a flight in my life until this past year when I went to Kansas City with some of our friends on uh to go to a Kansas City Chiefs game, and nice. I was leaving like very early Monday morning, and I asked the hotel to reserve a taxi for me. And when I got up in the morning, they told me that they're now only just now like placing the order for the taxi, and apparently. Kansas City is not New York City, and you can't just pull up Uber at that time and get something, especially where we were. And by the time I got to the airport, I missed my flight. But that was like, it was like really not my fault at all. Like, I was like leaving like almost two hours before the flight because I'm like very conservative about airports because I just like, I don't want to deal with it. I'd rather just get yeah. there and sit there and like listen to a podcast or watch something on, net, on my iPad yeah. and No, just but relax. you do make a point because I still am very strict about not showing up early, even though now it depends. If I'm flying with my kids, then I'd rather be home because obviously yes. being at home. Yeah, so here I was better. by myself. So like it wasn't even yeah. like a question. Like I'd just I'd rather just like sit there. Yeah. I'll be ready. I could get I'll get breakfast there. I'll get coffee. I'll sit. I'll watch a show. I'll listen to music. Yeah. Whatever. I'll be fine. Yeah. Anyway. Um. So yeah. So the lady says she yes. actually. So they complain about how they're going to miss the baptism because the the next flight to Monterey won't get them until four. Yeah. And the lady at this point all of a sudden becomes very, actually shockingly helpful and courteous. Yeah, she uh, she says actually I could get you on a flight right now or very soon to San Francisco, and it's like it's not that far. You can drive to, from there to Monterey, and you should be there by like two o'clock. And they say, all right, that's fine, that works, that will get us uh, in time for the. Oh, baptism. Cheryl does. Larry, Larry's being dragged along, obviously. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, he doesn't have a choice, but yeah, Cheryl. Yeah, yeah I guess Larry would just be just as happy to. Miss- eh, it's probably not worth it for him to miss it because uh, he'll probably hear about that for a long time. Yeah. Um, although in retrospect, it probably would have been better off if he if he missed it, <laughs> and like he would have get yelled at for two days and set up for like the next ten years. Yes, yes. Um, so they're waiting for their flight, and Larry asks Cheryl if he can borrow her cell phone, um, so he can call to Richard, so he can call Richard Lewis to corroborate the phone message. Yeah. Now this I think is important for a lot of the questions we've had through the first two seasons. Like, if they share one cell phone, and Cheryl is carrying it in her purse. I think this explains why Larry is frequently not with not possessing a cell phone because right. they only share one in the house. And so sometimes if he knows he's leaving, he'll say, hey, sure, I'm going to grab the cell phone. But maybe sometimes she's already out and she has it or whatever. So I think that's actually helpful, the fact that yeah. they have this one shared cell phone that shares. And I think that's not like – very unusual for that time period. I think my fa- like I think my dad like had a cell phone immediately, and my mom didn't get one till later. But like then it would kind of be like if someone was like going out with the car, they would take the cell phone because yeah. like God forbid if you got into an accident or something, like you want to have the yeah. cell phone. Yeah, no, yeah, I agree. So I think it actually is helpful to explain some things that we yeah. wondered earlier. Um, Cheryl thinks this is you know Larry's being ridiculous. He gets to the machine. He says, "Ha ha ha! That is such a funny message. How did you ever come up with something like that? You are so clever. Actually, I'm sitting here with my wife." Uh, yeah. which he shouldn't say. Well, but hold on. So the reason he makes the call is be- specifically because he remembers, well, I got nothing to do right now, and Cheryl had shared with me the night before right, that at he, home she that, remembers. She, yeah, that she was on my side here. So I'm going to use this opportunity to yeah get a, a corroborating witness. He, he doesn't read the room, and he doesn't know how Cheryl's feeling about it at yeah. the moment. And uh, I believe that she can shed some light on this controversy. Uh, but Cheryl refuses. Uh, he fights with her to like kind of get her to do it. She still refuses, and he says, "You know yeah. what? We'll, we'll do this in person." Yeah, a little awkward. Yeah, he, with the, he has to walk uh, back to the voice message uh, to Richard with his tail between his legs. But I would say a little uncomfortable in 2020 because Larry does not seem to understand the concept of consent. 
<laughs> yes. Sorry. Cheryl is very aggressively saying no, and she even says loudly, I don't want to do that here right now. Yes. And, you know, they don't show anyone else notice, but obviously the people around would have heard. And we, I, we too, know, like, have been forced to leave a voicemail against my will. <laughs> and I think it's important um, that we all a, share those stories. Yeah, this is not a Me Too podcast as well. Yes. Not to get political. Yeah. <laughs> All right, not to make light of uh, more serious matters. Oh, of course not. We would never yeah. do such a thing. Um, all right, so we uh, we uh, we watch the David's flight take off in the air, and we see them standing outside a budget rent a car, and we Larry asks how long the drive is to Monterey. They're told it's about two hours, and Cheryl says she'll drive, and they race off. Larry complains about how fast she's going. So we obviously learn uh, Cheryl a much more aggressive driver than Larry, and certainly in this case where she's much more motivated to get there. Yeah. Larry probably could care less at this point. Yeah. Uh, now, the commencing scene is an all-time scene for me with just Larry annoying Cheryl in the car. <laughs> yeah. But it's also, like, I don't understand why they're initially driving with no audio in the car. That's insane. But once the annoyance starts, if you're Cheryl, like, if, if that was Jen, she turns the radio on uh, against me in one second. <laughs> yeah. Cheryl will just sit there for the entire two hours. Yeah, she just takes it. Larry, so he starts hummer, humming some sort of gibberish, some song. Yeah. Um, he, he says he's going to check his messages. Then he yeah. begins opining on fruit. He said yeah. he's had fresh apples, but he's never had a fresh grape or a pear or a cherry. Then he thinks maybe he's never even had a pear at all. Yeah. He's never seen a pear. He's never seen a pear. That's a ridiculous. Stand. I, had, I in, ate a pear tonight. In the grape world, and he made a whole show. Uh, he, in the grape world, he says, you know, grape works so well as a gum and as a juice. Yes. But why are there no grape pies? Uh, would you eat a grape pie? I mean, I guess I would try it. There's no reason to think it wouldn't be pretty good, right? Um, so I'm not a huge like. I mean, I love apple pie. I'm I'm not like an absolutist like Michael Schur. I'm not against hot fruit altogether. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's 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 one of Michael Schur's very horrible takes. Yeah, but but I but I'm not like a hot fruit lover. Yeah. Like I, I, I so I like some pies, but not others. Yeah. Obviously, all pies don't have to be hot. The concept of a great pie isn't that appealing to me. But yeah, I would try it. I'd probably like. Let me put it this way: when I eat a fruit pie, I usually enjoy like the crust, like the like more than the than the fruit part. Yeah, grape pie is probably good. Somebody should try it. Um, yeah. I actually had three of these four fruits today. I didn't have cherries, but I did oh, have wow. apples. I had apples, grapes, and pears today. If, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you ate a cherry, an apple, a grape, and a pear the date that you're listening to this podcast, whatever day that is, please let us know. Yeah, but don't pull shenanigans and wait until the day that you eat those fruits to listen to the podcast because that's cheating. Well, but if they – but it, no, you have to have eaten them before listening. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you eat it after, that doesn't count. Yeah. So, but yeah, but so if they don't listen to this for six years, but they happen to listen on the way back from like a, a, a fruit stand convention or something, then... yeah, yeah, I guess that's fine. That's fair. Yeah. Um, Larry says uh, the message isn't working once again. Cheryl is not surprised because <laughs> yeah. earlier she suspected that the message could not be changed remotely from the office. Yeah, um, Larry isn't that worried, so we miss a couple of calls. Big deal. Yeah, Larry will say a lot of foreboding things in this episode. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Um, so they continue driving. Larry continues to ruminate on various matters of nonsense, yeah. such as whether they are settled down. What does that even mean? They have chairs. Does that, does that make country. them settle down? They live in the country. Right. It's a beautiful country. Um, as you said, why is it that grape works as a soda and a kind of a gum, but not as a pie? Why is there no grape pie? Yeah. Um, then he can say he, Larry starts getting a little political. He say, asks whether uh, we really needed Alaska and Hawaii, I think, uh, questioning the legitimacy of our 44th president. Yeah, well, I'll say this. Like, obviously, the anti 
having made Alaska and Hawaii states, that's a very bad take. Yeah, but I mean, last episode he was against the Civil War, so yeah. what, <laughs> this I mean, is a less offensive bad take. Why do we really need Hawaii? Are the words of someone who has never been to Hawaii, in my opinion. <laughs> Because if you go to but, Hawaii, you're like, ah, this is why we have Hawaii. Hawaii, yeah, but is also awesome. you could probably go to Hawaii even if it wasn't a state, right? That's true. But the reason still, it should be a state is because once we control it, like the yeah, citizens why, should have equal representation. But also, it's like you go there, you're like, oh, this place is also, oh, it's available to us. We can have it. Let's have it. Yeah, yeah. We also it also produced a a pretty 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 good president. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um. They uh. Yeah, I mean, I do hear his point about, like, there was something nice about there just being, like, the, map. the United States being, like, a continual uh, continental United States that was all contiguous and just, like, one yeah. solid thing. Um, yeah. Like, Hawaii doesn't bother me. Alaska is, like, ridiculous because it's, like, so far up and, like, like it's one thing to be, like, on the Well, it's same... so big and so they just don't even bother drawing it to scale. They just make it tiny to fit in the corner. Yeah, and there's, like, another humongous country in between. It's, like, it's even more silly. Like, Alaska yeah. should just be part of Canada. Yeah. And, frankly, they could have it. I think everyone <laughs> would be fine with that. <laughs> I don't know. Lisa Murkowski might be the uh, tipping senator in uh, after November. Yeah, we'll see. That could be interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's being very mean to her. Yeah, <laughs> but we're not getting political here. We're strictly talking. No, about, never. Uh, yeah. No, we're just you know we're just reporting the facts. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, he so, says, "Yeah, what are they trying to turn us into the British Empire? We're going to go just like conquer different lands." And then he wonders, "What is Puerto Rico anyway?" Which is a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. Puerto, actually two Puerto Rico points. should shit or get off the pot, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't think it's always up up to the Puerto Ricans as much. I think that you know the way that they're treated by uh, the rest of the U.S. government might play. All right, right, so then we should do but, something about it. Yeah, um, but I'm actually reading for whatever reason two separate books right now about the British Empire, and yeah, I don't. It's I mean, I guess back then like there was a whole racial component to it, obviously, but like. I don't really understand this desire to control like countries like all over the world that aren't your country. Just stick to your country. Yeah. Well, for some time, it kind of relates to what Larry was saying earlier about Christianity, where it was like religiously inspired to like go like conquer yeah, lands yeah. and convert yeah, them. There's a religious inspiration So like it kind of well. ties yeah. in that like there was this desire, you know, yeah. have the lobster, That was early on. By the time there's a race among European powers, it's, you know, yeah. it's more. Be British. A... It's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, go Africa. Yeah, so Cheryl, Cheryl just basically wants it to shut up so she can drive. Yeah, she says, um, can you focus on the map? Yeah, um, so we see that they're actually so we, we, have, a... we have to explain to our young viewers that it used to be that when you drove, there was a physical paper thing folded up in the, pas- in the uh, passenger side pocket that was a map of your surroundings. Yeah, I always talk about how like this is like one of those examples of evolution in action because I, I am not good like with like direction and like i'm not like great with maps and like i would like have been very unsuccessful in like trying to navigate the world where you had to rely on that and like during my lifetime i've seen that like flaw of mine be completely rendered meaningless in like 99.9 percent of circumstances like yeah, there could be a situation in my life where it comes up but like for the most part you just plug it into your phone and like it just gets you there yeah so. I, so I really, really love maps, and I used to have, like, um, I lived in Israel for a year, and I had a car there, and so I I had, like, the maps that I kept in that car for the places I would go with, like, such, like, I'd have, like, meticulous, like, footnotes and markings of this way and where to get to that place, and, like, but everything was on paper, and then the problem is sometimes the page becomes too creased, and so, the, like, because you have to fold it up, of course, and so the part where you've written, now you can't really see what you wrote because it's on the fold, and the paper's torn, like the all of these concepts totally foreign to people today, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so it seems like they're getting close. Um And by the way, these directions are very rare. They have to pass like some are very Yeah, these three they're like pine trees, yeah. This, yeah. this is like this is like the directions from when he went to, to Porto Gill. Yeah. yeah. 
So actually, kudos to Larry if he is indeed the navigator for doing a good job. Yeah, so uh, it seems like they're close. They can't really tell for sure. Cheryl says they should pull over so they can, like, figure out what's going on. Uh, Larry gets out of the car. He starts kind of, like, walking towards the side of the road. And as he looks out towards the water, he sees what looks like one man trying to drown another man. And Larry starts running towards them. He yells, Fully clothed. Sorry, what? And then fully clothed also. Fully clothed. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um and this causes a huge stir. Um, and we get when we get closer, we see, oh, what's going on here is that this is actually they're, – they're here. This is the baptism. And yeah. meanwhile, the uh, everyone has kind of like lost track of uh, the man who was you know being dunked. And it, it turns out that he's obviously not a very strong swimmer. And he's struggling and he might be drowning and everyone is getting very scared and everyone, every, like, everyone jumps into the water to help him. Like there's a certain point of diminishing returns where it's like if you weren't one yeah. of the first eight people to jump yeah. in, like you're useless. Like yeah. one of, with, your, with, with all your clothes and your wallet. And by the way, like are baptisms usually done in water so deep that one could feasibly drown? I don't believe so. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. You, you, you should probably be doing this like where you could stand. Yeah. And um, I actually just saw uh, a couple hours before uh, we are now recording – an episode of the show Survivor, which oh. was from about 2003 or so, where a somewhat similar thing happens. A character by the name of Austin is uh, runs into the water, and it's a little bit deeper than he should, and he, and he sort of flails around, and multiple people have to go in and rescue him as well. <laughs> yeah. And there also, it's n- it's not really believable that he's drowning, although he is sort of a guy who likes to complain and be afraid of everything, because there's a rope right next to where he is. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned to you earlier, Austin is one of my favorite characters on the show because I like the people that quit because they're the only p- characters that I think are realistic. <laughs> Because everyone else is like, what the, yeah. what do you, what? They don't give you fire? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I would last uh, 20 minutes, I think. Then I'd be like, yeah, oh, I'm out. I, I, I like make fires in my backyard and I like struggle to make them with like the access to all the possible tools. <laughs> right. Yeah. With like a starter. Yeah. <laughs> Someone like, yeah, these people have like a rock. Yeah. Um, seems very bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So everyone jumps out, and Larry, uh, Larry all of a sudden realizes where he is, and he uh, awkwardly says hello to Cheryl's parents and asks how they're doing. Yes. Larry, of um, course, has a, a wonderful relationship with his in-laws, who yes. last time they saw him stormed out of his house because there was too much commotion. Too much commotion because of Shaq. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and now Larry brings the commotion with him wherever he goes. Yeah, he's like uh, – yeah, he's a, a walking wrecking ball. Yeah. Well, a, a, to quote a future uh, cast member, I bring the ruckus. That's right. Yeah. So um, – they're in, I guess, somebody's house. I don't know who th- who this is here at this point. I don't think that I've really explained exactly where they are. Yeah. And uh, Becky's yelling at Larry, uh, asking him if he's happy. You ruined everything. You ruined the whole thing. Um, Larry says, what do you want from me? I thought he was drowning. Becky thinks that's bullshit. You just didn't yeah. want him to convert, and you were trying to intervene so that you wouldn't lose a Jew. Yeah. Larry sa- insists he doesn't care. She can take all the Jews in the world for all he cares. Yeah. Becky says she doesn't want Jews. That was the whole point. I don't want a Jew. I want a Christian. Um, and Larry blew it. The uh, the fiance does not like this comment. He says, "What do you yeah. mean?" By the way, this fiance who looks extraordinarily Jewish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's very clearly Jewish. They never. Central they casting never... was. We need someone who definitely looks like a Jew. <laughs> yeah, they never. Uh, they never name him, which I can say because I'm Jewish. <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, I was surprised that they don't tell us the name of. Uh, Becky's fiance. He's played she's by uh, Mitchell Whitfield, which is a uh, kind of a waspy name, actually. Yeah, Whitfield. I tried to see what else he was in. He was in Curb. He was in My Cousin Vinny. Oh, is he one of the two guys? In My yes, Cousin Vinny? he's the other guy. He's he's oh, not wow. Ralph Macchio. He's the other guy. Yeah. Oh, the other guy. He's the Jewish guy. 
Yeah. Which I, which Wait, is I, Jewish or Italian in that? No, Ralph Macchio is Italian. The other guy's name is Stan Rothenstein. He's Jewish, which I always maintain was the biggest flaw of my cousin Vinny, even though I love, is that it's, it's impossible that this Jewish guy from New York doesn't have a lawyer in the family or a friend that he could get. <laughs> By the way, that, he also, he's the same guy. He plays uh, Barry Farber, Rachel Green's uh, yes, fiance, yes, 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 you're fiance. right. Yes. He's got a history of uh, breaking off engagements. <laughs> he has, he has, he has uh, engagements that go all the way to the last bit, and then they get yeah. broken off. Yeah, cannot find out online, by the way, whether or not he is a Jew. But can I read you the names of the characters he's played in his filmography? Sure. Okay, Gordon Rosner. Yeah. Saul, Saul Jacobs. Jacob, Saul Jacobs. This is almost like a stereotype. Larry Levin. Uh huh. Uh, then we have Becky's fiance, um, <laughs> Arnold Baskin. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So um, uh, Teddy Cardozo. Okay, so he goes Italian there. Bar- uh, in Dr- France, he was Barry Farber, DDS. Yeah. Doctor Bruce Hampton, Stan Rothenstein, Matthew Solomon, Mickey Zimmerman. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he is a he has a, he has a type. Let's just say. Yeah, if he's not Jewish, this guy is. You know, I don't know what's been done to him. <laughs> well, it's like Jason Biggs. Sometimes you can just uh, play the Jew. Very yeah, easily, you just you know you play your part. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. acting after all. Yeah. So Mitchell Whitfield, yeah, may, may or may not be a, a member of the tribe. But So Larry explains that he didn't even know what a baptism, what a baptism, baptism was. Jeez, was <laughs> you can't hard. even say it. He can't even explain Larry it. Larry explains that he didn't even know what a baptism was um, as he's never been to one. And Cheryl actually steps in to defend him and say that's true. Um, Becky says that's ridiculous. She's never been to a bris. But she knows what it is. And, you know, to Becky's point, like if you were somewhere and you saw somebody trying to do what happens at a bris, you might intervene. <laughs> and if by you the didn't way, know any better. There was a bris on Seinfeld and a Gentile in the audience, Kramer, right. did intervene heroically. Yeah. If you have no idea what's going on, you just see, you know, one man chomping at another man or even if it's a very little man. A child. <laughs> yeah. A very small child. I, I would say a bris looks even worse than a baptism. Yeah. If you stand idly by, you're complicit. Yeah. <laughs> Stand idly by. I'm standing there eating a piece of fish. Yeah, having, having a piece of salmon. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's another thing we Jews do. We eat smoked salmon while watching the uh, child's penis. <laughs> yeah, well, not well, not while. Just, you know. Yeah, usually imme- after. Immediately after. Well, um, I, but if they put the food out before, I take it before. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, obviously I would, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so one they, of the they guests. They make you witness the, yeah, the carnage first, and then as a reward, you get to have a piece of salmon. So uh, one of the guests who was on crutches for some reason. Yeah. I was very confused. I was waiting. I was like, oh, this, well, is, is this going to play off? Pay across off? the other side of the room uh, with dark hair and uh, more uh, Semitic features, let us say. Yeah. So he uh, he calls Larry over. He says his name is Dave Levin. Yeah. Um, which I think was the last name of one of the characters uh, Mitchell Whitfield played. Larry yeah, Levin. Uh, so yeah, Larry Blossom. Yeah. So maybe this is a shared universe with Blossom where that's Larry Levin and there. That's that's why they're brother-in-laws. They have the same. Although, I don't so, know but then they'd works. be brothers and yeah. sisters. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Um, all right, fine. Scratch that. It's not a shared yeah. universe of Blossom. <laughs> uh, but he says, I'm the schmuck's brother-in-law, referring to Mitchell Whitfield, because his character is not named for some reason, even though he's yeah. so, the, so, the main so Becky's, Becky's Jewish fiancé has a Jewish sister married to this Jewish man on crutches. Uh, yeah, that's what it seems like. Yeah. Um, and he gives Larry lots of props for what he did. Larry says, no, I didn't do anything. He didn't even mean to. Then Dave's wife thanks Larry for doing a big mitzvah for her family. And... So this is presumably the fiance's sister. Right. right. Yeah. And uh, the small group of Jews say <laughs> he is with them now. Yeah. The moment when Larry allows the Jews to convert him from 
accidental to intentional baptism <laughs> or baptism ruiner, excuse me. Another all-time moment to me. Yeah, like, it's look great. on Larry's face when he <laughs> yeah. realizes, oh, instead of just explaining this away, they're trying to give me credit. I yeah. might as well take credit. Yeah, he likes being the hero. Yes. It, it's really unbelievable. You're one of us now, say the Jews. There's a whole like a separate side of the room. Yeah. It's amazing. Um not a blonde hair to be seen on that side. So of the Cheryl's room. uh Cheryl's father wonders aloud, what's the plan now exactly? Are we going back? The fiance says, Go back. I did it. I went under the water. What are we talking about here? Yeah. Uh, Becky says no it's not complete the uh, the guy who well, dumped hold on. him Wait, can we go back, can we yeah. back? W- while the Jews are commending him uh, Rabbi Akiva gets a shout out yeah oh, I was going to get to that I kind of yeah, did ori- out of order yeah the original yeah. namesake of the, my uh, other podcast co-host they the, say, second most, <laughs> the second most yeah. famous Akiva yeah, and then, and then the other guy the other guy who we don't know who he is says listen I want you to talk at my daughter's bat mitzvah yes um, so interestingly, and I assume this was not at all intentional. Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, his like one of his main claims to fame is that he is descending. He descended from converts to Judaism. Yeah, but but also that until the age of forty, he was a totally secular Jew. Right, and, and he only he, uh, and he only embraced Torah at the age of forty. So, which is around seemingly the age of Becky's fiance. So maybe there is a deeper religious message here that Larry's yeah. sending. And us. then you know went on to become one of the most learned, influential rabbis in uh, Jewish history. Really. For, really. You're talking about Mitchell Whitfield. Yes, both of them. Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, uh, Becky's fiance insists, no bird dunking, I'm done. The, the group of Jews are all still congratulating Larry, say it was smart of him to feign ignorance about the baptism. Yeah. <laughs> Larry, as you said, Larry now switches over to taking credit. So, you know, something had to be done. Um, the Gentiles uh, try to convince him to go back, uh, to, you know, do the dunking again. He says, you know, it's not even a big deal. We can do it in the tub or we can just sprinkle water on you. And he says, you know yeah, what? I got to give credit. These these uh, Christians are being very flexible. here. Yeah, Becky is all of a sudden with, with not Becky's so passionate question. about uh, the, the ritual. It's just it's the symbolism that is more important yeah. the way that they do it. You know, yeah. So the uh, the priest offers, he says, you know, we'll use a little cup. Yeah, so, uh, you know, but he, the fiancé says, you know what, I, it's not even about the water. While I was being dunked, I felt some sort of revelation from God when I was underneath, and I'm now realizing this is wrong. Uh, it didn't make me feel like, like a Christian. In fact, if anything, it made me feel like even more of a Jew to yeah. almost be baptized. Um, as you said, the Jews are still, you know, they're all gushing over Larry. One of them wants to speak at the daughter's bat mitzvah. Uh, we head back over to the Goyim. Uh, the, the fiance <laughs> says he won't get baptized, and Becky says, then we're not getting married. Becky you know, then starts yelling at Larry, did you hear that? We're not getting married. You happy now, you son of a bitch. Yeah. And David rushes to Larry's defense, and he says he's not a son of a bitch. He did a wonderful thing. <laughs> to which one of the Christians responds, and being Christian isn't wonderful? And they, one of the Jews says back, it's wonderful for you, but we resent the recruitment. <laughs> Um, it's at this moment that the fiance moves over from the Christian side of the group to, across the room to the Jews, and everyone starts yelling. They're at each other's throats. By the way, both Larry's uh, father-in-law and the big guy both use the term you people on the Jews, which is a little risky. Yeah, it's not great. Um, yeah. So I, I found a quote from Larry David about this episode where he said, you know, time talking about this scene, that he's, he's noticed that it's predominantly the Jews, predominantly the Jews that make others convert. It's more important to the Jews in terms of the conversion. It's also weird to take on Christian beliefs after so many years. All of a sudden, it's, hey, now I believe that this woman gave birth to this baby without having sex. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I always wondered that. Like, it's just, I, don't, I don't know if that's the way the Christians would present the story. But yeah. yeah, but like it's, it's, it's so weird to like switch. 
to like to, to like completely believe something, and I'm like, no, I completely completely believe this yeah, other I, set I, of. I agree with you. The idea of going from believing to not believing, or vice versa, that I understand. Yeah, it's the people who who switch, or the people. Well, to give you another example, like if you're like a, a like a Haredi, like an ultra orthodox Jew, like a like a Hasid, for example, when you decide, you know what, this isn't for me, those people don't become like you know, modern Orthodox or conservative Jews. Those people, like, you know, at least religiously, culturally, religiously, yeah, they're they, they sort they of do out nothing. of faith altogether. Yeah. And I'm always fascinated. There's a there's a family in my neighborhood who are, you know, are formerly of that persuasion and are now, I guess you'd call modern Orthodox, like, you know, but they, they look to the average person like like an average person. They don't stand out in, like, in their dress or their mode or anything, except they talk, they have very strong Yiddish accents because they didn't even speak English as the first language. And it's so fascinating to me, like, that they decided that this entire way of life and this belief system is not for them, but they're still going to keep like eighty five percent of it. Yeah, yeah. I've I've always very strongly believed that if I'm going to live my life around nonsense, it's going to be my nonsense and the nonsense yeah. that my father lived before me and his father yes. before him. Yes. <laughs> I'm not doing somebody else's nonsense. Yeah. I'm pot committed to this nonsense. Yeah, that's right. What do I need it for? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so, but the divide between the Jews and the Christians with Larry in the middle as this scene ends is it's iconic, but it also becomes, I think because Larry will then repeat it later on in the Palestinian chicken. Yeah. 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 Which is another all time curb episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to get to there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the, uh, we don't really know exactly what happens. We, uh, I, I assume it, it, everything goes to shit because, uh, we're with Cheryl and Larry. They're, you know, back in the car driving home. Cheryl looks pissed. So obviously this didn't end well, and <laughs> they uh, they happened to pass by a homeless man who was wearing what clearly looks to be the maroon jacket that we saw in the first episode. And they roll down their window, Cheryl hands the guy some money, and he reveals, actually, wouldn't you know, I found the plane tickets in my pocket, and I tried calling you, but your answering machine didn't work. Yeah. The, just the, the final reveal with the tickets and the answering machine... So Seinfeldian the way that like it ties all these three seemingly disparate storylines together. To me, just a completely brilliant ending. I absolutely love this ending. And by the way, like the implication is it's all Larry's fault. But okay, maybe the machine is Larry's fault for Larry screwing up the machine. But Cheryl's the one who took the jacket out of Larry's closet and gave it away without even checking the pockets. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So that's actually on Cheryl. Yeah, that part of it. Um yeah. yeah. This but anyways, is, uh... I just I love the ending. I love this episode. To me, I said last week as we uh, previewed this episode, I said I had this number one through the first two seasons when I did a watch two years ago, and I was confused why so many other anchors uh, were low on it. I'm still, uh, unlike some of the other episodes we've watched this season where I've had sort of a reanalysis, I'm still where I was two years ago. Pretty, 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 pretty good. Five pretties. Wow. Unbelievable. Just Edges Trick or Treat, the best episode of the first two seasons of this show. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick where where I've been on the high end at the pretty 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 good at four and a half because um, I think this is an excellent episode, but I don't think it stands out as better than some of the other ones. Um, I would say I think it's like not as funny as the the funniest ones we've seen, but it's probably like the best constructed episode in terms of like 
it doesn't even need to do the like multiple storylines intersecting. It does it a little bit, but like it's really just like one continuous story of just like a day in the life of Larry and Cheryl, like almost in but real it does, time. Though, because the answering machine yeah. and the jacket are both like totally disconnected and then yeah, come but, together. Yeah, yeah, but they don't. Right, that's my point though. Like they don't even feel like part of the episode for like ninety percent of it, and then like they just like come back at the end both at the same time. Um, but but like yeah, most that's of why it, it's so brilliant. Yeah. yeah, most of it is just like one straight continuous story that's like almost like a documentary. Uh, just like kind of like unfolding before us. Um, it's it's just like really well made, uh, and they, and it does have some genuinely very funny moments. But and I, that leads to a question: It's one story, as you said. We don't see a lot of side stories, you know, other than those two. But we like we don't see Jeff. We don't see a lot of other characters having their own separate storylines. I guess we should say. So, who's your come with guy? Yeah, so my come with guy, actually come with gal this episode, I'm going to go with Cheryl David. Um, Not necessarily because of anything she does in this episode, but I think we've spent a lot of time ragging on Cheryl in this series for just like kind of like always giving Larry a hard time and like misjudging him and not giving him the benefit of the doubt. And in this episode, we see why. And the reason why is because Larry is a schmuck who wears ridiculous outfits and makes terrible decisions and doesn't think things through and does stupid things and ruins everything. And like Cheryl is always there along for the ride telling him, no, don't do that. That's stupid. That's not going to work. Why did you do it that way? You think that's a good idea? And like she's trying to bite her tongue, but he's just like constantly making bad decisions. And like he needs – he basically proves that he needs her to like really be overseeing and micromanaging his life. Otherwise, these huge debacles happen because he just like can't help himself. Yeah, so you give it to uh, Cheryl. Cheryl already won uh, for the uh, season premiere of season one and then for episode four this year. I am going to do something that you did a couple episodes ago, which I thought was absurd. You gave it to Larry. I'm doing that here. This episode, as you said, it's one story. It's the day in the life of Larry David. We don't have any other characters playing major roles. This episode is like a solo job, heavy lifting by LD himself. And he lifts it all himself. He does. He just does an incredible job um, in an episode that I give five stars. It's a perfect episode with very little assistance. This is like LeBron and LeBron in the 2015 finals. He doesn't have anybody with him. He doesn't have Jeff. He doesn't have JB Smooth. He doesn't have Cheryl. Doesn't do you know that much in terms of the story. It's just Larry carrying the whole episode. Uh, so I, I'm giving it to Larry David. Uh, Cheryl, though, by the way, she does get a half point from you. So two and a half points. She is now tied with Jeff for the lead of our come with uh, people. But um, very nice. Yeah. So I'm giving I'm giving it to Larry himself. And let's segue. To who's the worst person because I'm giving that to Larry also. You know, <laughs> Larry carries everything in this episode. He's his own come with guy, but he's also the worst person. Like, let's be honest. As a Jew, I'm I'm glad that this guy had a Jewish awakening and didn't abandon his faith. <laughs> but it's certainly offensive to Christians, and regardless of your faith, if you are a person of any faith, I think the way that Larry is so cavalier about faith is pretty insulting. So, uh, Larry, uh, you're the worst person. Yeah, so I'm going to go on the flip side of that, and I'm going to stay in the family, and I'm going to give it to uh, Becky, Cheryl's sister, because uh, the way she reacts is – I mean, I get it. Like, it's – you know, this is a, a big a big day for her. He just called, He just ruined her wedding. Yeah, but he didn't actually do anything wrong. Like her, her theory that he's trying to break it up because of like Jewishness is ridiculous on its face. What? Like he, every single person in the room except for Larry and Cheryl thinks that's what happened. I guess, but it's but only because like it's in a TV episode. It's completely ridiculous. Like his, like he thought that the guy was being I, I drowned. I don't think so. I, I don't. I mean, I don't believe. 
only because I know Larry David. If I'm a random person at that wedding, Christian or Jewish, I don't believe that cockamamie story. He thought that somebody was drowning. Really, there were two adult men hanging out. Like that doesn't make any sense. You think this think guy so. traveled to Monterey to to yell stop during the baptism? So when, you like, think any- he comes all the way to Monterey, comes to the baptism, doesn't realize it's the baptism, and thinks that instead it's a drowning? It just happens. To, like, why is he there if he doesn't? You know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, anyone who's met Larry David knows that there's no way he cares. Like, he's he didn't he's not here to intervene because. Well, but he's none of these people know who Larry David is, yeah, except but for Cheryl and Becky. Cheryl, but that's my point. Becky knows, like, she should know Larry's not not like this like Jewish uh, evangelist who's gonna make sure that no one's converting out of the faith. He doesn't give a crap. But but Sherry, but Larry's also a person who takes principled stands about stupidity. Yeah, that's true. He tries to, you know, if you do a chat and cut, he'll stop you right there. So he maybe will. he has some principle here that she doesn't know about. And anyway, she hates him from the beginning, as we know. The, the whole the whole Cheryl family hates Larry. I mean, you know, he, he called their beloved aunt a beloved cunt uh, just a couple of episodes ago. So, or I guess that was a season ago by now. So he's had a lot of problems with this family. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, to my point, though, yeah. Becky's just, you, yeah, she's bringing in other things. There's no, she, if she, th- if she took five minutes to think about this. She knows that. Larry doesn't care that a Jewish person is converting to marry her. No. <laughs> but but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. All right. So then we um, – all right. So we, we don't really have any celebrities in this episode. We mentioned yeah. sort of some of the cameos. From no one, no one, no ones, one, in, no one yeah. noteworthy, yeah. Yeah. Should we uh, call in the postman? We could call in the postman. Postman! Uh, yeah. Postman! Uh, come uh, here! here Tell the yeah. neighborhood! Right. We have uh, – oh, we have two letters from the postman this week. Uh, the first one comes from Zach Brooks. He says, probably the most dated episode of Curb. General Gen Z viewers won't understand what they just yeah. saw at the airport. Yeah. Uh, he says, one point for the time capsule of an episode, one point for Rabbi Akiva, one point for Mark <laughs> nice. Boone Jr. and Sweet D. And Who's one Mark point Boone for Jr.? Mark Boone Jr. is the homeless man. Okay. I don't know who he is in real life. Um, let me see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, he was on Sons of Anarchy. Oh, okay, I know who he is. Oh, and he was in Memento. Oh, I know exactly who he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that, you know this guy. Okay. I re- now that I'm seeing his picture, I I didn't put it together, but yeah, he's a, he's in Memento. He plays like the attendant in the like he's plays he's like the receptionist in the hotel. Um, and he's also like one of the he's one of the main characters in Sons of Anarchy. I have to admit, although I did just re- recently listen to an hour and a half podcast about Memento. <laughs> yes. You don't um, I haven't actually seen the movie in 20 years. So yeah. Oh, he's also on Seinfeld. You you would think that would impact my listening to uh, this podcast, but uh, oh, he's one of the guys at the OTB in Seinfeld. Oh, uh, who uh, like uh, who like uh, Elaine? He's a man. Yeah, I'm a man. So, yeah, he's not the main man. I think he's the taller backup man. Yeah. So and uh, so that that All adds right. up. That adds up to uh, four pretties for Zach. Okay. And then our second email from Olin Allen. He says, as a Catholic, I might be an expert on baptisms, having attended a grand total of two. Okay, you probably have been to more. I've, I've never been to any baptisms. Um, the first being my own when I was a month old. I must admit I was probably a cursed child with both my godparents dying within a couple months of the event. Oh, yikes. As well as the family dog. Wow. <laughs> Did the dog have a role in the baptism? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, that reminds me, me and, me and you have both started reading, uh, Harry Potter recently. Yeah. Do you think that that karma caused, uh, Harry Potter to get canceled? Oh, people are mad at J.K. Rowling because she's yeah. a turf, right? Yeah. There's something, I don't know. I can't keep track of everything, but yeah, yeah. people uh, don't I like her right now. I learned what and I'm like, I'm like, come on, I just got into this thing. <laughs> now I'm not allowed to do this anymore. 
Oh, is it literally canceled? No, but like everyone's, you know, up in arms about it now. Yeah. It's like a whole thing. It's um, like, ugh, nothing is fun. Nothing is good anymore. Yeah. Um, anyway, Olin continues. He says he was a bit disappointed that he got invited to a friend's wedding shortly before his own because he wanted to use the line, I've been to one wedding for a while and it was my own. Being so cursed, though, I have been in plenty of funerals. That is by far my most frequent ceremony to attend. That's sad. It's got very dark. Yeah, sorry, Olin. Yeah. Um, in contrast to my older brother's baptism, was much more of a blessing, literally, with my father having to delay the ceremony to the anoint of the priest, my mother, etc., as he had to await outside the church, listening to his transistor radio to hear the vital football results from England, his team <laughs> and my unborn self-future soccer team to be promoted to the top league in England. If I have to remember my brother's age, I do it by remembering when we won the promotion. Yeah, I will say that uh, regardless of what religion it is, I think that um, our religious beliefs uh, align very carefully with uh, <laughs> yes. Owen's fathers. <laughs> yeah, uh, sports comes first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, recently becoming a godfather myself, and the ceremony did make me feel that up to the moment of the baptism, the priest was making it clear that my goddaughter was just completely possessed by the devil up until the moment he hit, her head was dipped into the water. Given the intensity with how the devil possession was stated, I'm surprised that we Catholics wait a whole, a whole month and don't get children baptized immediately in the delivery room. That's right. Yeah, we only do eight days to, to get the bris. Yeah, what are you guys waiting for? That's 30 days is crazy. Devil. Yeah, the devil is lingering all that time. Yeah. What are you doing, guys? Yeah. Very right, this is reminding me all this Godfather talk. Um, I, I'm going to have, um, you know, uh, all health permitting a son in a few weeks from now. And Can I, I be the Godfather? Well, I- I'm just thinking, like, you know, given the fact that uh, COVID is going to make it a, a social distanced uh, bris, I don't really know how it's going to work. Who's who's the godfather going to be? Who's going to, you know, the, the sonic, as we say, who's going to, you know, who'll hold the baby and, and play that role? Because I don't know, he'll, don't know who's going to be able to show up. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. If, my, uh... if, if you're coming from Long Island, I will uh, enter you into the uh, list of uh, possibilities. But okay. uh, Dr. Jen will probably have a say. Yeah, she's probably not going to want me to do it. Yeah. Well, tell if you tell her that's either me or Keith, then I think I might get it. Yeah. It has to be somebody I record a podcast with. Yeah. I, I only then, then, I, I only take up one I only take up one podcast time a week with you, so she doesn't yeah. hate me as much, probably. Well, but she 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 just thinks that this is a segment that you come on uh, with me and Keith and do this once in a while. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is uh. Also, you do three, three. There's three episodes of Thirty Two Fans per week, and one of them is Curb. No, she, she's uh, you're a sweet. She's she's never. Heard she doesn't of even know it. Doesn't, she doesn't even know there's curb. She knows I have a podcast with Akiva, and for some reason I'm talking to Av sometimes. <laughs> okay, well I guess that makes enough sense from her perspective. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, Olin continues. Thankfully, two years later, it appears my baptism associated curse, curses have been lifted, apart from maybe contributing to the whole situation of the world this year. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to look no further than Olin to explain the predicament we're all in. Yeah, but the two-year-old is devil-free, as far as we know. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's good. It was worth it. We'll we'll all sacrifice so that Olin's daughter will could be free. Of the goddaughter. Devil. Oh, goddaughter. Sorry. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, I miss. I uh, miss much more that. important. Yeah. Um, baptisms are still very important and popular in Ireland, despite the decline in general Catholicism, mainly as they help gain access to good schools. Interesting. They are they are hardly ever in as scenic and dramatic a setting as the river baptism portrayed in Curb, however. As for the Curb episode, Richard Lewis made me laugh as usual. Come with guy is Richard Lewis. While being a dick, too, you can still make his buddy laugh and feel like a great pal. The villain, also Richard Lewis, getting all upset about a puny little message. And uh, Olin gives watch... the... Oh, sorry. Olin gives the episode three and a half pretties out of five. Okay, so no one's as high as, it, as I am. Um, uh, did you watch the show Crashing, the Pete Holmes show on HBO? Yes. So there was also a very uh, climactic baptism scene ending that show in season one. I don't remember. 
where where he goes to the baptism of his uh, ex-wife. Remember, they're in a cross-shaped uh, pool. Not ringing a bell, uh, but I believe you. Yeah, it's a it's a similar it's a similar uh, attempted baptism with a lot of people coming into the water, and uh, you know, uh, n- not the not I've never seen a baptism that goes smoothly. Basically, let us say. <laughs> on TV, they never do. Yeah, but listen, if you're hosting a baptism and social distancing permits it, I would love to be invited to your baptism or the baptism that you're uh, hosting. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I like I like a yeah. Cool I would go. Yeah. All right. So, uh, next week we uh, have the final episode of season two, the massage. The massage. Yeah, Larry uh, interrupts a happy ending, but uh, Cheryl and her psychic think otherwise, and Larry's attempt to help a driver eat his food will get him into legal trouble. Yeah. He's uh he's going to get a very uh interesting punishment. Yeah, we are going to have to have some discussions next week about Larry and Cheryl and who's right and who's wrong because I have to say that the restraint that uh the uh, that Larry you know uses in next week's episode is something that that most might I'm not sure could could achieve and so I think if you're Cheryl you should appreciate that what Larry did was pretty 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 pretty. pretty.